And so um, I like to add to that. It's not just what you keep. It's also where you keep it. Yeah, I like that. And, and so that's kind of, you know, it's something that, that you know, I like to, to, to kind of put out there because it makes the mind think about, okay, well, what, is, what does that mean? For a lot of us, keeping it means we're putting it in a bank account or we're putting it in a retirement plan or we're putting it in a 401k. And even as a financial advisor early on, I thought that was just where you put money. I didn't know there was other places. So it kind of opens to the door to the fact that there are other places that you could put money. And when you start studying, where do the wealthy actually put their money? They don't use banks and 401ks. They use other stuff. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to this episode of Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Jerry Feta here with me. He has been a busy guy lately. Um, he has built a multi-million dollar company over the last four years. He is the founder and CEO of Wealth Dynamics, a wealth creation firm that helps create clients across the U.S. build wealth. And Jerry has a passion for providing financial education for families that causes them to build wealth and navigate their economic futures. He is uh, married to his uh, lovely wife and business partner, Lexi, and together they have taken Wealth Dynamics from nothing to a multi-million dollar company in the last four years. And so we're going to dive into how to make money while paying off debt, how not to pay your taxes and get away with it, which I love, and how to use life insurance to produce passive income, which is always another fun subject that people think might be not that fun, but it is actually a pretty cool way. It's almost a big chess game, right? And so with that, yeah. welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you, Cody. It's a pleasure to be on here today. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I'm almost kind of stunned where to start out with, but um, I want to just ask you, like, when you took the leap to run and try and do this thing, did you project mm -hmm. yourself to get out this fat, this far, this fast? You know, that's a good question. I don't think I really knew at the time. I, I think I, so I started this right out of high school, right? So 18 years old, I got my insurance license, started working in the financial services industry. And um, I think I had a passion for helping. Like I grew up in a household where finances is, is a sore spot. My parents got divorced over money. Um, and, and we just, you know, we lived in poverty growing up. So I saw, you know, the solution to a problem I had dealt with. And I also was kind of validated in the fact that really everyone's dealing with this. And so I don't think I really thought about how far I would go. I really just kind of looked at it. I know I can do this and I know I can help people. And I just ran with it. You know, it's um, the, the funny thing about, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs or people that start businesses, I don't know if necessarily I'd call them entrepreneurs all the time, um, is that they don't start with that piece, right? It's like, I start because I want a bunch of money. And it's like, mm -hmm. it doesn't really work that way. Like if you, if you to, to get through the ups and downs in my mind, you have to have that kind of, you have to have that driver, that why behind there, or else there's yeah. really not enough um, 
I don't know, enough force behind you to break through that $100,000 a year range or, you know what I mean? That, that yeah. business where it doesn't start to become a business because there's so many ups and downs. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think for me, you know, like I'd said, money was, uh, was not an area that I was winning. So for me to make money the purpose and then to go lose with money is kind of like getting a trophy that you knew you were going to break. <laughs> so, so I had to have something different to start it out. Yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty funny analogy. I don't know if you saw the guys that were uh, this, the, I think it was Wisconsin that was dancing with their trophy. This, they just won the bowl game. That. Oh, you got, yeah. Just, Did they break it? Oh, it fell right. Up, and the whole thing just shattered in a million pieces. <laughs> like it didn't just break a little, it broke all over the place. The guy's dancing with destroyed. it. It just goes over the top. So <laughs> that popped up in my mind as soon as you said that. But um, so tell me, what, what is your, what is your purpose that got you going? I mean, I can, we kind of just touched on it, but what, what's the, um, what do they call it? The QER, the quantifiable end result for what you do um, with your company. Yeah. So our, our purpose in, and we call it a valuable final product. It's the, you know, the, the thing of value that the end of the day, a client is going to get from us. And it really, it really surpasses and is above any other indicator in our company, as far as like stats are concerned. Um, and, and it really is, you know, financially educated families who are navigating their economic futures with certainty and, and they're building wealth in the process. And then for us, a big piece of that is then they're using that to help then build prosperous communities around them. Um, and for me, that's important because growing up, I didn't have someone um, in my life that was willing to share how to win with money. So it's kind of like I, I knew that that was a key and I knew it was missing, but I didn't have someone I could go to to then start learning. So we're really big on, hey, let's get educated. Let's build wealth. Let's get our uncertainty. And then let's pass that forward to others. And, and so that. that really would be like our, our, you know, like you said, quantifiable end result, the thing we focus on. It's a multiplier effect that way, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Teach a man to fish versus giving him one. But then teach him to teach others to fish is is even the end goal, as you said, like where they once they get to that's why I think a lot of people don't they don't think about money that way when they think about it in a negative context is that there's a lot of good that can happen from it. That there's not just this little finite like if I get one, you don't get any. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think what happens in, for me, my experience was I never was in a situation, you know, growing up where I had a lot of money. So I, I misassociated all of these problems with money when really what I should have been associating with them was the lack of. Mm -hmm. so I thought when I get more money, it would be bad and more of these things would happen and money is this wrong thing. And really um, that the stuff I was dealing with was the result of not having it, not the result of having it. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I talk a lot about paradigms in my, in my show um, and that's just a paradigm shift, you know, and it's, it's, it's weird because you mentioned earlier, like with mentors, I think a lot of, I think a lot of times when we're, in tough situations, we shell up even more and we seek mentors even less, not thinking that they, well, these guys, they don't want to help me because I'll be taking money out of their pocket or they'll be losing money by talking to me or doing these things. And I find yeah. it as I've interviewed now, I don't know, 120, probably, you know, just high achievers, those kind of things they want. It's the exact opposite. Like the more people they can help, the, the better they feel that's, that's literally a lot of times it's the driving force behind it for them. Yeah. And it sounds yeah, like you've kind of been that same path. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that the best mentors I've ever had didn't charge me a dime. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I'm not, I don't think that people should go out expecting that, but it, it was, you know, a situation where I think these people saw, you know, me, the younger version of them going through some of the similar stuff they went through and, and they just knew they could help and they, they wanted to. And, you know, when you get up to the point where, where I'm at now, where you're at now, like, 
we want more friends. Like we want more people in our circle that are in this kind of a spot. And so um, I can totally see the viewpoint of just being willing to help someone just because you want to help them. It's amazing the way it works though. It's um, and I think it's all in the approach. Um, you know, I, I think that there's something in that that we want to help up in, in the, and it's the people that seek the help, mm. right? Those are the ones that we want to help. And so if you have a young person out there, um, you know, and a lot of this show is geared towards helping younger people learn about entrepreneurship and learn about money and connecting yeah. their parents to that. If there's something that you don't feel comfortable with, like, you know, if, if you're not an entrepreneur, but you want your kid to learn about entrepreneurship, find him an entrepreneur that he can go to and ask the questions. And if they come mm. with the right type of I guess, um, willingness to, to, to listen or to seek the information. Um, I think that there's a lot of power in that because there's a lot of people that would just, they, we want to pass this information. We're problem solvers. And so if yeah. we see someone else that wants to be a problem solver, it's like, we want to solve problems together, you know? Totally. Yeah. I see <laughs> that. And I, and I think, you know, for me, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now. So, so 10 years ago I, I was a kid and, and, what I saw with money was that there were definitely like inconsistencies and logics and things that I didn't think made sense. And, and to your point, like communicating about that, cause I saw him, I knew, I knew like this doesn't make sense and I don't understand this. And I don't think I want to be involved in this. And I was starting to come to my own conclusions, but I didn't have all the data. So I think that's very important to have like, you know, mentors, education, people that have done it before sources that are proven that a young person can go dive into and kind of uh, quench that skepticism or that, you know, kind of the questions that, that, that a person might have at that age and, and get some answers. I would say this to the awareness of, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the awareness of the youngest generation right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, so I have a, I have a six-year-old and nine-year-old um, and it's a little bit above them, but um, I saw a study that said in high, the, that high schoolers now in Generation Z, 78% of them want personal finance uh, information. They want it taught. They want to seek it. They want to know what it is. Yeah. I didn't know what personal finance was when I was in high school, right? Yeah, so I, I, it just, I, did, I didn't even know. It never even crossed my mind to think that like if somebody surveyed me, I'd be like, yeah, I want to know personal finance. Like, I don't want to know that, yeah. <laughs> right? And so it was really encouraging now because the kids, like my, my kids consume things so differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had, I've had to explain TV to them, mm -hmm. right? Because we've been stuck where like in a hotel or something and there's just a regular TV and they can't yeah. like my Man, that's they, like. Yeah. You want to talk that about feeling old? Feel old? Like, oh, like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I, you know, I've told the story of a podcast a couple of times, but like I, my son, we were in a hotel and he was like, he's like, I'm like, Hey man, in 10 minutes, your show starts, go get a shower. And he's like, put it on now. And he's just looking at me. And I'm like, I can't, it starts in 10 minutes. And he's like, just look. And I realized I'm like, he has no concept, like how, the, how this works at all, you know? And so what's yeah, funny is that I finally, I finally just convinced, I think he just gave up. And so I just finally got him to go and he came back and the show came on. And then like, I was watching, I was playing around on my phone or something, trying to relax. And it, he like nudges me. He's like, Hey man, put my show back on. And I'm like, it, it is, it's a commercial. And he looks at me, he's like, what's a commercial? <laughs> he's just looking at him. I'm like, he doesn't know what a commercial is. Cause they don't have them on Netflix. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was just, it was such a, um, it was such an old man moment for me. <laughs> it just, but I also kind of started to think about that in the way that, you know, we're kind of in this education age. And I think as, as um, you know, as kind of coaches and, you know, people putting out that are producers of content, 
you know, it's an amazing time to be a content producer, but there's a lot of us now that it's growing fast and quickly with podcasts and, you know, with uh, Facebook and, and courses and all this stuff. And like, I think about like how I learned about abundant mindsets at about 30 years old. And I felt like I was very young to learn that at my time, you know, that was mm -hmm. 10 years ago for me. And, um, but my son will know about that. And so will my daughter the way, but so I wonder what the next step is for them. Yeah. I think that's right. going to be a quantum leap. You know, yeah. if they're getting it at six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, I picked it up at 19 and, and all of my life, I've been the young guy that, that, you know, everyone was surprised at where I was at, but I can't imagine if I had that at that age. You know what I mean? I just, I think about it. And for me, the term, the word that comes to my mind uh, most often, if I start to just kind of take a little moment to think about is, is a legacy, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, um, that's what I love about what you guys talk about is this family wealth creation, because yeah. I, I want there to be, a conversation four generations from now that says, Hey, look what super great, great, great grandpa Cody did, you know, that changed our family tree yeah. and what they can do with that. Because if they have the ability to go out and solve problems, because they're not concerned with trying to just make buy on a $10 an hour. For me, it was like $4 an hour when I was a kid, you know, and like not trying to get in whatever it is for them, but like not trying to just get to that stage, but also like, okay, if we had the financial freedom, what can we go out to solve? Mm -hmm. Right. And they can take bigger risks and solve bigger problems, which makes the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I think, you know, when you think of it in that standpoint, um, I'm really big on studying like historically, like the wealthiest families, the Rockefellers, you know, Carnegie, those guys. And um, that's what they did. You know, they, they were able to build generational wealth. Uh, Rockefeller Trust is still around today. They still have family members that draw income off of that thing. But um, it puts things in a different perspective where, you know, if I think about having a legacy that I know is going to be three or four or five generations down the road, um, now financial education for my family and my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids becomes up to me. Yeah. So I think it changes this, this, the paradigm of education too, where, I didn't get it in the school system and you didn't get it in the school system. My grandkids probably won't either, yeah. but I'll make sure they have it. You know, if, if we have a hundred million bucks in a trust, I'm going to make sure they know how to use that thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And it's like, um, it's, it's really odd to think about that because it's just, uh, um, you know, it's not a, like, it's not a five-year goal. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a, it's an intergenerational goal. And it's like, man, that's, that starts, that starts, it's a really big paradigm shift. And I'm, um, so where you, I love the fact that you mentioned that you, 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 um, you're in families and talking about generating wealth and families. And so where, where do your conversations generally start? Like what, what type of, what type of, I guess, avatar ideal client is someone that you start generally working with? Yeah, we have a couple. So, um, you know, we, we initially really saw a lot of, and we still do today, a lot of you know, mom and dad, you know, mid thirties, forties, they've got a couple of kids, they've got the house, they're paying on the mortgage, they're trying to pay off the cars, you know, and, and they're doing, they're doing all the right things, right? They're putting money in the 401k and, and all this traditional stuff. Um, and so that really is kind of our ideal client. And that's always where we've started. And um, that conversation really is about these, these families that, that, that we're mentioning now, they know they're doing the things they're told they should do, but they're not seeing the results they want. And there's, there's kind of an illogic there. And so we work with them on, okay, well, you know, there's doing the right things. And then there's also doing things right. 
you know, mm. they're, and then also orders of magnitude doing things also in the right order. And, and so we start going through and really looking at, okay, you know, what should we really be doing? And so that's where we started as I, as I started to um, grow the business out, we also started then attracting more people that were um, at the time, kind of my demographic. So, you know, 20 something years old, um, you know, they watched the, the 2008 crisis happen. They watched the 2001 crisis happen and, and they kind of know something's up. And, and so these are usually, you know, people that are, you know, salespeople or they just graduated they're into their careers. Now they're making some money and they're looking at what do I do with this? And, mm. and they don't want to do the same thing as they saw their parents do. And so we see a lot of that too. Um, and so then there's, ironically, still some, there's still some money scars there. There are still some. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ironically, we also get some, some pre-retirees now that are, are, you know, they have been doing, you know, the investing and all the stuff that they were told to do. And now they've got, you know, a million or 2 million bucks and, and they're afraid of what's going to happen to it. And yeah. so we, we start working with them too on, okay, well, here's, we're kind of late in the game, but here's some of the stuff we can do to change this so that this becomes a legacy rather than, you know, and unfortunately I hope I die before my money runs out. Cause that's, that's kind of the mindset that a lot of those individuals have at that point. Is it a coaching program? It's, it's kind of more focused on financial planning. So okay. we sit down and actually we'll help someone build out a blueprint for their finances and then help them with, you know, taxes, investing, uh, saving, paying off debt. Um, we really kind of have the viewpoint of helping them become their own financial institution. So they're mm-hmm. doing all their banking with themselves and, and trying to cut out banks, Wall Street. And a lot of these guys that kind of scoop, you know, fees and stuff off the top and they don't give a whole lot back in return. The, invi- um, the invisible cost of money. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I heard that um, a long time ago that it was better to be the bank than the borrower, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, if you could, man, um, why don't you give us uh, something that you know maybe maybe some of the people who are listening right now have never really kind of thought about, or um, you know, one of the uh, one of the best tips that you could give for us. Yeah. So there's a lot of them out there. I, I think the one I like to usually um, start with is, is we've all heard, you know, the, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Right. And that's kind of the old adage. And we all know we should do that. It's kind of like with, with calories, like burn, burn more than you eat or eat less than you burn. Like we all know we should do that. And so um, I like to add to that. It's not just what you keep. It's also where you keep it. Yeah. I like that. And, and so that's kind of, you know, it's something that, that you know, I like to, to, to kind of put out there because it makes the mind think about, okay, well, what, is, what does that mean? For a lot of us, keeping it means we're putting it in a bank account or we're putting it in a retirement plan or we're putting it in a 401k. And even as a financial advisor early on, I thought that was just where you put money. I didn't know there was other places. So it kind of opens to the door to the fact that there are other places that you could put money. And when you start studying, where do the wealthy actually put their money? They don't use banks and 401ks. They use other stuff. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I like to, um, I guess, put there and open the door towards is where else could we be putting it? Yeah, I mean, I, inherently, I don't think uh, 401ks and banks are bad. Like, they're better than not, right? Like, they're better than not saving because, you know, but it, I also agree it's not a maximum thing. It's just the, usually generally the easiest with the best marketing. Right. And so yeah. I'd rather have someone putting, you know, whatever the three or six or 9% away into a 401k than to not be saving any money. Um, totally. You know, but like you, like you kind of mentioned, it's, that's, that's better than nothing, but it's, it's also like, there are other avenues out there to maximize return. 
and I don't think that, you know, with over time, I don't think people realize that an amount like a, a, a 1% or 2% difference in, in return per year over 30 or 40 years is massive amounts of money. Huge. Like it's, 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 yeah. un, it's, it's, uh, I think I did a, I did a study. I, w- I did a, just a, just playing around. I was, I was actually presenting to some kids and I said, you know, I was like, if you guys are, at, uh, you know, 16 years old and you're putting money away, you put $10 a week away. And I was like, who can raise their hand and make 10 bucks a week? And they're like, yeah, I've made 10 bucks a week. Uh, okay. 10 bucks a week. will get you $2.1 million. I was like, if you do it till 76, you don't do anything else different in your whole life. As long as you put 40 bucks a month away. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's like around $32,000 you put away. And I said, but here's the deal. I was like, and that's in an S&P 500 fund. I did the, you know, the normal 9% you know, thing. And I said, but here's the deal. I said, if your broker charged you 1% versus like a Vanguard fund at 0.15, I'm like, then, I'm like, is that a big difference? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, it drops you down to about 650,000 bucks from 2.1 million. Yeah. They're like, what? Like, I mean, it was just like, you know, when I did the math, I, my first time, I was like, this is insane. Like, it, so yeah. if you can maximize a point or two just by taking the effort to, to go past that first initial step of that 401k or mm-hmm. to seek someone like yourself where there's these next little pieces. And I don't think most people realize taxes is probably the worst one because it's the easiest mm-hmm. one to move a point or two, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, so tell me this, what, what do you, uh, what are some of the things that you guys, uh, teach around with, uh, avoid, I don't want to say avoiding taxes. I want to say maximizing your tax benefits would probably be the best way I would say that. Right. I yeah. <laughs> so, so we want to, we want to legally avoid them. Otherwise you yes. end up like Willie Nelson in a jail cell. And yeah. You don't want to part of that. You don't want part of uh, Wesley, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, the biggest thing that, that we teach is understanding the purpose of the tax code. Um, and understanding the players in the game too. A lot of times we think taxes and then we just think, well, you know, taxes and the IRS and they take our money and we have to watch out for them or we'll get audited and pay fines or go to jail. A lot of people don't know the tax code was not written by the IRS. The tax code was written by attorneys and the IRS enforces the tax code. So when you think about, well, the attorneys are on someone's payroll, like they don't work for free, who paid the attorneys to write the code? Well, it wasn't Congress. Congress is the one that goes through and they decide if the code's going to become part of the law or not. So then you have to go back further and you realize the code for the most part was written by corporations and wealthy individuals that didn't want to pay taxes. So they hired an attorney and they wrote a proposed bill and then they lobbied a politician and they got that person to sponsor the bill and the bill passes and becomes law. And now it's part of our tax code. So when you look at the tax code and realize, you know, it's, it's some odd like 6,000 pages long uh, and only about 0.05% of it has to do with the paying of income tax. The rest of it is ways you don't pay taxes. Then it becomes much easier to realize that this is actually meant to be used to reduce taxes. And, and a lot of people just don't know that. And so they don't use it. I think that that's a great mindset shift, man. <laughs> I've never heard it explained that way. But also I would say this too. Uh, once they were writing the tax code of how to pay income taxes, it was sold as it will be all the rich people paying the taxes. Yeah. And then they came up with 6,000 wages of ways not to pay taxes, which right. got shoved down, down to everybody else. Cause the guy who paid for the attorney to write the tax code is not the one who's going to write the tax code to pay more taxes. He's going to write it so that he can, but they sold it the other way, you know? Yeah. Which and is a good market. caught up in, in the rates too. People don't realize yeah. the tax brackets, you know, the, the word bracket means that it's, you know, from this period to this period is what we're taxing. So people don't realize that, you know, 
there's a difference between the bracket that I'm in and my actual net effective tax rate. Like what, if I divide all the tax I paid by the, all the income I earned, that's my actual tax rate, regardless of my bracket. So if you look at effective tax rates, the top 10% and the top 1%, they have lower tax rates than those that are in the middle class. So statistically, what you're saying is completely true where, you know, the, the average family pays a higher percentage of income towards taxes than the guys at the very top. And for some reason, we keep thinking that if we just keep making more taxes, then they're going to just pay more. And it's their, their goal is to do the same thing that we do, which is everybody does, and this, which is, I'd like to pay less. Yeah, but they, they've got better people to let them pay less. And so it's a it's a tough game to play because there's always a way around it, right? Yeah. Well, and so. it's kind of funny too. A lot of the guys that are are, you know, pushing let's raise the brackets, <laughs> they're in those brackets. <laughs> you have to you have to ask, are they really going to get them and their buddies to pay more in taxes? Probably not. It's, yeah. it's a nice red herring, but like you're saying, it, it's it's not actually something that plays out the way we think it would play out when the bracket goes up. Yeah, I um I loved it when um uh you know Bernie Sanders was was out there and he was like it's the millionaires and then he sold a book and he made like four million dollars and he was like it's the billionaires like it is his vernacular literally changed like that year like he was just instantly like whoa that's me yeah. now right? <laughs> but didn't he get like two or three houses every time he dropped out of the election yeah yeah that's so not a bad yeah. a bad system <laughs> no he's got yeah not at all <laughs> and so i just thought it was hilarious that like his whole vernacular changed the second he like released a book <laughs> yeah and it was like whoa 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 time out <laughs> So, from an M to a B. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, um, uh, well, I would ask you this. So as, as you've been kind of going along and as an entrepreneur, um, what are some of the things that, that you've um, run into? Because I find it very, you know, it's very rare that there's a straight line to success in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of curious as, as you've gone, you know, at, because you're a, you're a teacher of money, Right. And so, um, but it doesn't, it's not always, you know, straight lines for people that teach about money. And so I'm just curious, some of the things that, you know, you've, you've found and overcame um, as, as being a, a young entrepreneur. Yeah, man, there's so many things. I think the, um, the first one was I, I didn't understand what I was delivering. Right. So mm -hmm. in a business, you know, there's, there's, you know, selling and advertising and all these things that people talk about and promote about. And, and you can find so many social media influencers that will teach you how to sell and promote. And so in my business, I was doing all that and I did not realize what am I administering and delivering. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the thing that actually makes money come in the door. Cause if I have a good product and people like it and they're willing to pay for it, cause it's more valuable than what I'm charging. Um, I have sales and my promotion is easier. So I was really focusing on, you know, selling and promoting and all this top line stuff. And, um, I had a, um, again, a mentor sat down with me. He's like, what, what are you delivering? Like, like, let's, let's write a clear statement of what you're delivering and what that looks like and how you're going to measure it. And so when I did that, my business completely changed just from, from finding those three things, you know, what am I delivering? What does it look like? And then how do I measure that? And um, what I noticed was the effort drastically went down. Like I was, I didn't have to work as hard to get the same results. And uh, that, that was just a game changer for me. And I spent, you know, years prior to that, you know, pushing and shoveling and hustling and grinding. Those are all the buzzwords. And I thought that that was normal because, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone said so. And so I was just doing it and doing it and doing it. And then I realized, wow, there's an easier way to do this. I just have to clearly understand my value and what I'm delivering. There's an old, there's this book from the seventies called power versus force. And I, it's, 
it's a tough listen on audio because um, a guy just puts you to sleep. But it's this <laughs> whole concept between that, though, which I have found that in my businesses, as I've gotten more, you know, through it, it the the easier it's been for me, the more money I've made. And it sounds like it, you know, people go, oh, no, like that. That, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Like it should be easy when you make more money. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, the easier I made it, the more money I made, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so that was because I was clear because I was precise and because I was efficient and the things that I thought about what I was, what, what I was doing for my people, for my customers, but also like I was a grinder. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did it for a while. And when I, when I changed my mindset around that, I, I totally see what you're saying because when I stopped thinking, wait, I need to grind this much. Like how do, what do I need to do to do that? That's where my paradigm changed and it became easier. And as it got easier for me, more money flowed in. Yeah. And I've noticed, you know, like, like when I, when I started, when I started to adopt that mindset myself, um, the, the grinder in me was like, Oh, that's lazy. You know, like you're, (laughs) you're working less. And I had this like, kind of like, you know, counter intention of like, well, is this okay to do? Yeah. And uh, what I ended up doing is I ended up filling that time with important stuff like personal development and spending more time with my wife and like, you know, things that, that aren't lazy. Like I'm not sleeping the extra time I'm getting, I'm doing stuff still. And it's just different stuff. And that stuff then results in, in the revenue even going higher because I become an even more able person after I do that. Well, so you're thinking, right? And as an entrepreneur, um, you know, it's ingrained in us to try to change the world a little bit. Otherwise, mm-hmm. why would we do what we do, right? Yeah. And so, um, problem is a lot of times as you're as you're building a business and you're starting to push through and build, um, you have to do that less, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to be the lead horse. You need to be less and less, but you also need to offload tasks that you shouldn't be doing because you want to wear all the hats. Mm-hmm. And, and you get, you start doing the thing that made you successful in the beginning, which was solving the problem, getting better at it, delivering more clearly, like, and so as you offload those things, you know, that's where you're kind of talking about, like, you know, doing personal development, spending time with your wife, like you come into the office probably much more ready to take the world on than if you'd worked 12 hours yesterday and left frustrated and went home and thought about all the problems at office and payroll and, you know, yeah. uh, I just got to get the, you know, I got to get through this attorney I have to talk to and this, like, uh, I have to do the insurance stuff and my payroll's coming and I, you know, Johnny's got fighting with Jimmy and, you know, you just yeah. sort of awful that stuff and you get back to using what's between your head, which was the driver, because you can't turn that part off, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you, that's where that revenue drive comes because it's like you just start getting better at driving revenue or driving or even bottom line, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know? yeah, I totally see that. It becomes you, you start looking for more problems to fix. Like you can't turn that part off. At least yeah. for me. I'm 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 not the operator guy. I'm the I'm the find the problem, you know, I'm not the implementer. I'm the 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 guy that wants to go solve the problems or find the problems, actually. I actually enjoy yeah. finding the problems more than I even like solving them, you know. Yeah, you're like the spotter. Like you yeah. get the snipers and you spot and you're like, get it. Yeah. 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 I'm like you guys, you, you know what I mean? Put that thing to work. Like I'm I'm going to get another one, you know what I mean? And so well, that's awesome, man. Well, Jerry, I um, I uh, I want to see if you maybe you had some some thoughts of because you're um, you know, like you said, only ten years out from being in school. Like, what were some of the advice that you would say for parents to to approach these subjects with their with their families? Like, where do they? Let's say somebody's listening and there's you know a mom or a dad and they're listening to this podcast and they're like, man, I I'd really like to start kind of bringing up this wealth creation for our family, but it's it's maybe not a subject they talk about or 
You know what I mean? Like how, how do you take the first steps as a, as from the yeah. other side, not from you on the business side and who you're helping, but like, how would you suggest that they take that side that from their this first steps from their side? Yeah. So if I think about, you know, in my household, um, I don't think my parents had a lot of knowledge about money. And I, and I think I kind of knew that just because of the situation we were in. So if I think about, you know, if my mom and dad started to talk to me about money, I would kind of be like, well, why aren't we doing all this stuff? I would see the logics of like, we're getting information, but this is not stuff that we're actually using or, or that's helping us in real life. So, and I think a lot of families are in that spot where mom and dad might not know all the things about money yet. And so I think uh, in that situation, transparency, like, you know, if we're going to learn about money, not I'm going to teach you about money, we're going to sit down and I'm mom or dad, and I'm going to learn too. And we're going to make this a family thing where we sit down and learn about money together. And Love I think that. I would have been very receptive and open to that because it would have made me feel included instead of talked down to or, or, you know, spoken at, I would have been part of this learning experience. And I think a lot of the wins like that really, because you've had them and I've had them too, where you have a breakthrough on how compounding interest works, or you understand passive income. Those are all things that a family could then experience and have together. And so I think that's the starting point is, is um, realizing where you're at and being very, you know, very uh, honest with yourself and with your family about that. And then being transparent and like kind of having the humility to then learn about it together rather than feeling like you've got to be the expert so that you can then teach it to your kids. Like just make it a thing you guys all do. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I've talked to people, I think about like their, it, 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 it's almost nice to like compartmentalize it, I guess, to think about it. This is my money story and it's been written already to this far. Right. But is this how, how do I want my book to end? Hmm. Right. And I think, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. I was like, okay, I, it's not just, I'm going to, I need to go learn all this so I can teach it to you. Or I think the other part of it is inside uh, and people are like, oh, I can't do that. I don't know enough. Or like you said, well, I messed up. So now I can't teach you, but mm. if you've messed up because you can't, and so you shouldn't teach like your kid's not going to get taught because we don't teach these things. Yeah. So where are they going to end up? You know? So how do you want to rewrite that money story? And if you write, if you think about that money story as a family unit money story, well, mm. like you mentioned your parents, they're like, man, they didn't talk to me about this stuff. I don't think they knew about it. Well, that's your first chapter right? Yeah. And so at somewhere along those lines, you were like, no, nah, I'm going to change the story, right? Mm -hmm. And it became more of an epic, right? And so instead of just the same boring thing all the way through, and then at 75, you're like, man, I wish I had learned more about money along the way. You said, okay, no, I'm, I'm going to go out and do these things and, and learn and teach and, and do. And I think, you know, it's, a, um, it's an important mindset shift. But I think that there's more anxiety built up from the parental side than it is from because it projected into the kids like well, I can't talk to them about this because I, I I have screwed up so much right yeah and instead of just saying you know what I, I don't think your kid looks at you that way you know yeah. or, or if you had the, like you said the humility to say hey look guys like we've messed this up but from today and we're gonna plant this flag we're going a different direction you know yeah yeah and, and I think I think the kids you know they see they see that there are things that are not ideal so not, kids not are like they really don't know perceptive. about it. Yeah, yeah I, I knew my parents were behind on the bills. We got our house taken away one summer. I was aware of it. So but it, it didn't mean I, I loved my mom and dad less. I would still have been willing to learn with them and, and have those conversations. Yeah, especially if they plant the flag. So this was going to happen to us again. Yeah, you know? and I, I didn't have money either. So it's not like I'm the Joneses and they need to be worried about it. Like I was nine years old and I had no money either. So if we're in the same boat, that's fine. Yeah. That's uh, you know, I, I, I was, I built, um, 
pretty good couple businesses and um was you know a millionaire on paper at 27 and at 28 it was 700 grand in the hole two foreclosures irs tax liens basically bankrupt no businesses like in a year and a half span you know and so like yeah and so i i was very like for it took me it it didn't take me as long to get over as it should have (laughs) but the way i got over it was to start talking about it you know and i start doing something about it um and I, and I just, I set out a goal of 10 years and I said, okay, well, how, I want to get here. It was big, you know, one of those big, hairy, audacious goals. And I said, I want to be financially free by the time I'm 39, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years. And so, um, but it was because of planting that flag and changing directions and saying, you know what, I'm rewriting this thing. Like, I don't, I need to say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and have that, you know, you used a great word, humility. Because guess what? 99% of your friends don't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so when you start talking to them, when you start talking to family about stuff you don't know, that's when you can start to grow in my mind. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and, uh, well, listen, um, if, if there's people listening right now and they want to find out more about what you do, who should be contacting you? Where should they find you? Um, give some people some ways to, to reach out with you and, and, and learn more about what you're doing. Yeah. So if you go to, uh, I have two books, but I, I like to give one away for free on podcasts. It's called how to create wealth. So if you go to jerryfeta.com, uh, again, jerryfeta.com, you can get a copy of this. It's feta like the cheese, but with two T's cause it's twice as good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but jerryfeta.com, you can get a free copy of the book. And it's a short little booklet that I wrote on just, you know, like things, things people should know about money. And that's a good way to get started and get connected. Um, you can find me on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, I just joined clubhouse as well. We'll see, we'll see how far the legs are on clubhouse, but I am there if you're on clubhouse and uh, I got on clubhouse and guess what? My handle is at CL at CL. Okay. I have a two letter oh, handle on, on clubhouse. So I was pretty, uh, I was pretty stoked about that, you know? Yeah. I'm <laughs> still learning it. It sounds like a cool idea though. Yeah, it buzzes all day long. I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> some cool people on there, but I'm not sure it's going to go either yet. But um, man, I I think that's really cool. I appreciate you offering to give away the book for free and send it out. Um, you know, it's almost like what we talked about earlier. Uh, there are some very basic building blocks that have been the same thing for three thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. And then there and then there's optimization past that. You know, and I know what you guys do is a lot of optimization past that. But if people can just start with the base building blocks, it's a heck of a place to start. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. Great, man. Well, I really, I really, really appreciate you coming on Money Talkers with me. Um, please go check them out. Um, JerryFeta.com uh, to get the book. And, uh, and then we're going to hang on for the uh, high impact series here shortly. But Jerry, I want to say thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers with me. I think what you guys are doing is a fantastic, um, you know, fantastic goal of building family intergenerational wealth and uh, and just helping people from a good-hearted position and uh, and helping them to start to uh, optimize the things that we can pass on to our kids because that's all what Money Talkers is about. Thank you. It's been great being on too. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. 
Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at The Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.